And I just kind of out loud retold myself all of the lies and all of the truths that I had come to believe about me that had been told to me by some, some well-intended people mm-hmm. and some nefarious people. And that night at age 49, I'm, just, I'm a chief marketing officer of a global brand and a best-selling author. And I have a radio program and a podcast. But for the first night, I finally told myself my story. Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. Successful-ish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successful-ish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieved. Successful-ish. Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve. Welcome to Successful-ish. I am so excited to introduce today's guest, Scott Miller. Scott Miller is a fully rounded leader, leading in roles such as dad, keynote speaker, C-note executive, and now business owner. He's been with Franklin Covey Company for over two decades and currently serves as the special advisor of thought leadership. He's also the host of Franklin Covey, sponsored on leadership with Scott Miller, a weekly leadership webcast, podcast, and newsletter. say that 10 times fast, that features interviews and renowned business titans, authors, and thought leaders. Additionally, Miller writes a weekly leadership column for Inc. Magazine and is the best-selling author of two books. There is a long list. I, I first met Scott at the Rise Business Conference about a year ago, where he shared the stage with some of my favorite successes. And what I really love about him is that he doesn't just speak about leadership, he actually models it. And there is a consistency, whether it's in the professionalism of work or the personality at home, he truly practices what he preaches in a way that just really makes you want to hang out with the Miller family. So Scott, (laughs) thank you for hanging out with me virtually this evening. Well, all that was true, except for wanting to hang out with the Miller family, because my wife, Stephanie, and I have three sons, as you know, that are six, eight, and 10, and they how have my personality. So that's a little overwhelming. I love <laughs> but it. Thank I just you, wanna... Sarah, for the, thank you for the invitation today. Absolutely. I just want to sit in the background and watch three boys <laughs> at work. That's <laughs> awesome. So what is something that you have failed at this week? What's something you're figuring out? Well, as I mentioned to you off air, I continue to violate the principle of better is better, not more is better. For mm-hmm. some reason, As I have pivoted out of the Franklin Covey Company, I was in the firm for 25 years, uh, left as the chief marketing officer and the executive vice president of thought leadership. I'm still very much involved with the company as a contractor and a host, that kind of stuff. But as I become an entrepreneur, I have this sort of desire to want to be valued, right? Like all of us do, right? And I want people to want me, whether it be for a podcast interview or a keynote speech or a new book. And I'm I'm agreeing to write books every day. I mean, I agreed to write a book with Larry King. He's an icon. Why am I writing a book with Larry King? I have no idea, right? Between you and my audience. And today I mentioned to you, I accepted a columnist role in a a fairly prominent business publication. I'm already an Inc. columnist. Why am I a columnist now for two magazines? So what I have failed at is taking on too much. I need to take on less. I need to live the principle of better is better, not more is better. I love that. I think that's the struggle of any true entrepreneur. 
who just, there's so much opportunity. There's so much fun to be had. And yeah. it's really hard to think. I know as a, as a brand strategist, that's something that I see with my clients all the time of just, okay, it's not about more opportunities. It's about the right opportunities. It's so it's true. Such a yeah. challenging thing to look at all of them through that lens of, okay, which ones are really going to be the right ones to choose? Yeah. Um, but I, I selfishly am excited that you say yes to everything because I'm glad that uh, I got to talk to you before you started getting firm with that no word. Um, <laughs> I would love if you could share a little bit about your story and sort of what makes you successful -ish. And I know you've had just a really interesting background between yeah. your business and now starting a new business. So tell us a little bit about your life and what makes you you. Well, I would share with you three things that I think that I've done well in life. I mean, before that, very briefly, um, I live in Salt Lake City with my wife and our three boys. I'm from Orlando, Florida, originally. I was a Florida boy, right? And worked for the Disney company for four years. They invited me to leave, which is a nice way of saying, you know, get out. And then, so where does a single Catholic boy move? To Utah, of course, where all the Catholics are, right? I'm kidding. There's no Catholics here. So that was a big change for me. And I've lived around the world, uh, in London, Chicago, and Utah, for the company as well. And I've, uh, like you said, I've written a lot and I've authored a lot. Uh, I'm a people leader, I'm a sales leader, I'm a chief marketing officer, right? Like you, I'm a brand strategist. And there are a couple of things that I have learned along the way. One is I always friend up. Now, when some people hear that, they misinterpret that as, as in, I don't help people that are struggling or need, no, 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 people are friending up to me all the time. But I'm also friending up. And from my 20s, I was always very deliberate to make sure that the people that I was friending were smarter, more educated, had more bankruptcies, had you know more international experience, more education, because that's where I learned. I learned nothing from my fraternity brothers, right? I wanted to learn. And so friending up was always a strategy that worked very well for me. Something else, you know, I think we spend a lot of time studying other people. We study Rachel Hollis. We study Brendan Bouchard, we study Tony Robbins, we study Tony Shea, or you know, whoever it is, um, Jay Shetty. I don't think people spend enough time studying themselves. And that's an insight that I have spent more time on, is really you know, getting a PhD in Scott Miller. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my insecurities? Where do my jealousies come from? What are my passions? What am I willing to be good at versus what am I naturally good at? And so I think spending as much time learning about yourself as you do others is enormously valuable. And the last thing, which adds to that, I'm a hard worker. I mean, there's no such thing as overnight success. There's overnight fame. Yes. But there's no such thing as overnight success. I mean, I, I'm a friend of Rachel Hollis. I use her as an example because I think she is one of the best brand strategists I know. You know, she's had a rough road the last nine months or so, like all of us have. A lot of people have jumped on that, you know, kicking her down. She has a lot of champions, a lot of detractors. I'm quite fond of her, of her business mind. And I think she's done a really good job of building her brand. But what everybody sees is the overnight success, right? They see girl stop apologizing. They see girl um, wash your face. They don't see the six books that she wrote before that, that no one knows about. They don't see the 15 years she spent as a lifestyle and food blogger and event manager, right? And all that. And so I'm a hard worker and, you know, my brand is building, my influence is building and 25 years, right? 
really 30 years behind the scenes of hard work, building, learning, lots of mistakes, lots of messes. Those are three things that I think um, you can't short circuit. Yeah, I, I don't even know where to start. I could talk about any of those for hours. I love that. But one thing that I do want to talk about, I know that you wrote a book about mess to management and about yeah, the messes yeah. that lead to it. And you're very yeah. honest and candid about the messes that you've overcome. And I think to your point, we do tend to look at other people and see their successes really obviously. And I think we miss our own because we're comparing our beginnings to someone else's middle. And we don't really know ourselves well enough to have an accurate picture of celebrating the things we've accomplished, but also really pushing ourselves to what we're capable of. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? Because I think as a leader, there's this expectation that to be a leader, we have to be the pro at everything. We have to be amazing. And that's what a leader is. But I, there is no such thing as someone who's a true expert in life. And a lot of leadership is showing people, here's how you get out of the messes that life handles. What has that looked like for you to, to model your own messes with that vulnerability in leadership roles? Well, that was a risk. Right. I mean, the book you're referring to is called Management Mess to Leadership Success. It's done mm -hmm. extraordinarily well because I think it's one of the first leadership books where a C-level leader was really vulnerable. Right? Sometimes, you know, Hollywood celebrities or actors are very vulnerable. They share all their love life and who they slept with and all, this, all their drugs. That wasn't my strategy. Right. Um, but I was unique in the C-suite, especially for a conservative firm like Franklin Covey. Right where I wrote this book where I, I, I shared 30 of my kind of biggest mistakes and challenges. What I said wrong, what I did wrong, how I thought wrong, because I really believe fundamentally, Sarah, that you learn more from your messes than you do your successes. Absolutely. And, and I think vulnerability was such a hot topic right now, but it's a leadership competency. You know, confidence drives competition. I think vulnerability drives companionship and respect and it drives um, relationships. So I chose to be very vulnerable at some risk. Um, and I'm okay with that because I've had an amazing 30 year career, much of it in the C-suite in a public company as an officer. And if I can share people, some of the things that I've learned the hard way, like so many things, like for example, you know, here's one of my biggest learnings is there's a difference between being efficient and being effective. They sound similar. I'm a very efficient person, very productive. The problem is what brings me the most success in my career, my efficiency, also brings me the most pain because I try to be efficient with all my friendships hmm. and my relationships. You cannot be efficient with people. You can only be effective with people. So I'm always thinking about, okay, I need to slow down. I need to move into an effectiveness mindset with this person, with this situation. Because what is my biggest strength is also, as is everybody's, my biggest Achilles, you know, heel. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that not only do we learn the most from our own failures, I think other people do too. I mean, I love hearing a good success story. I love hearing from someone who has made it, but I'm so much more inspired by hearing from someone who's just a few steps ahead of me because now me I can see myself in that story. Yeah. And to your point about Rachel Hollis, that's something that I love about her is that she 
is human. And she writes in a way where I, I've lived a lot of that life. And that is easier for me to grasp onto than, you know, if I'm listening to a story from someone who's just talking from the top, like they are naturally, the, they've made it. So part of the, I know one of the stories that you share about the messes that you've overcome, you talk about starting off in leadership roles and going through a demotion and then interviewing yourself in the kitchen. I would love to hear a little more about that story um, because I just think that other people need to hear that. Yeah. Well, those are two separate stories. I'm going to share them both. Yes. Okay. Um, The first one is, uh, yeah, I moved to Utah, joined the Franklin Covey Company back in 1996 and because of my experience at Disney. Um, they felt I had some experience in quality, right? Disney's about quality. And it was true, I did. And so I started as a frontline salesperson and I was quickly promoted to also run like a client service team, like a team of five or six people. They happened to be ladies, that didn't matter. So I was selling and I was managing a team. And... Um, I got a phone call one morning from the vice president who had just just promoted me over them, like about a month later, thinking, oh my gosh, they're going to promote me again. Like, I'm on fire. I'm on fire, people. I'm like a big fish in a small sea. I'm on my way to the top. And I hung up the phone two minutes later, having been relieved of that promotion, having been unpromoted, because I was a jerk. I was a tyrannical boss. I was having people like clock in and clock out and have all of their Dogs performance after hours. I asked one young lady if she was going to check her voice on email on her honeymoon. And I was a jerk. I had no idea what leadership meant. I had no idea. So I was, I was demoted from that. And I share that story because it was instructive on um, sometimes, you know, an ego enema is the best thing that happens for you, to you. Sometimes humility doesn't come naturally. It doesn't, doesn't to me. I'm not a naturally humble person. I need sometimes to be humbled by people who care about me and who love me. I don't naturally humble myself. Um, and then I grew over decades to be a much better leader of people. But I write about in the book, I don't think everyone should be a leader of people. Just like not everyone should be a commercial airline pilot or an anesthesiologist. Not everyone should be a leader of people. And most organizations end up promoting the top individual producer to now lead their people when the skills that make you the best at something rarely make you the best leader, right? They're often inversely correlated, right? So be very thoughtful around whether or not leadership of people is the right calling for you. No shame in not. The other story happened right here in this room where I'm sitting right now is um, I host the world's largest subscribed to and distributed leadership podcast called On Leadership with Scott Miller. It's a weekly podcast where, as you mentioned, I interview thought leaders. I'm interviewing Matthew McConaughey next week, by the way. I'm looking forward to that. All right, all right, all right. Can't wait to that hear That ought to increase my female viewership, right? <laughs> Not because of me, because of him. But I was, I, was, uh, I was interviewing two people, Viola Davis and a, and a social scientist named Eric Barker. And they both times they talked about the power of knowing your story. And I'm like, what does that mean, knowing your story? It sounded like yoga or Reiki or something else that's legit but isn't part of my life, right? Like haiku. I don't do haiku. And so I went home and I asked my wife one night, have you ever told yourself your story? She's like, what are you talking about? I'm going to sleep. I'm tired. Now, my wife's very intelligent. She's a stay-at-home mom, full-time house manager, but she was tired. So I get out of bed, and I'm sorry for the visual, Sarah, but I'm wearing a pair of flannel plaid Ralph Lauren boxer shorts. I never like it was yesterday. 
10.30 at night. My home is quiet. It's pitch black. I walk into the kitchen. I pull out a two-foot-long wire whisk, like Larry King-style microphone. And for the first time in my life, at the age of 49, I walk around this room I'm in right now for about 45 minutes, and I tell myself my story out loud, who I am, my struggles, my challenges. I'm a stutterer. I have a very prominent stutter that I've managed to, through sheer force and training, overcome. And uh, lots of ups and downs, right? Um, scholastic ups and downs, collegiate ups and downs, ups and downs, been fired from jobs, been promoted from jobs. And I just kind of out loud retold myself all of the lies and all of the truths that I had come to believe about me that had been told to me by some some well-intended people mm-hmm. and some nefarious people. And that night at age 49, I'm, just, I'm a chief marketing officer of a global brand and a best-selling author and I have a radio program and a podcast. But for the first night, I finally told myself my story and I decided that night what was going to be true in the future. What, what, what things were true about me that I no longer wanted to be true. And what things were lies that were not true about me that I had come to believe and fulfill that I was going to no longer make them true? What things that I want to be true? You get the point. I used this wire whisk and I walked around my living room and like talked to myself out loud. It sounds insane. But I think thousands of people who listen to me tell this story are now taking spatulas and wire whisk and wooden spoons and they too are walking around whatever they want to wear as their business and telling themselves their stories and then deciding what is my future story. And that's what I share. I love that. And it's very I, powerful for me. It, it, it is. And it's one of those things. I think that pride is such a deterrent to success. And for a lot of us, the pride would hold us back from doing that. But the, the goofy things that we do like that, I think can be some of the most profound moments in our success because it's a way of looking at ourselves more objectively And most of the time when people are telling us who we are, we're blending in these objective truths and subjective truths. And I think think the wiry whisk Mm -hmm. night was the first time I decided to enroll in getting a PhD in Scott. Yeah. It's because you think about yourself in a different way and you start to hear it out loud and you realize how many opinions have been attached Yes. And it's not just someone telling you an objective thing about yourself. There's opinions and subjective pieces that are lumped onto it. And I think it's not until we hear it out loud or we see it written out that we begin to actually look at ourselves and be aware of that and be able to discern those different pieces. I feel like I'm in therapy. Are you charging me for this? This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are on a couch. Do you want to lay down? Pull up I am on a couch. I'm on a sofa. <laughs> so when you think about being in leadership, which is that is your jam and your specialty, what are the parallels and correlations between the different roles of leadership? Because it's not just about being a global leader. You're also a leader in the sense that you are leading a family. You're raising three boys. You're a leader now that you're a business owner, which I'm sure is different than working for a corporation. And you've been in that demoted phase where you have been leading in a different capacity with a traditional boss. So what does that look like across all the different pillars? What are the, what does leadership look like? Well, two things come immediately to mind. One is trustworthiness. Mm. And I think that if I behave myself into 
a reputation of being trusted by others, that's like 90% of the game. If I do what I say I'm going to do, show up when I say I'm going to go, show up, be prepared, tell the truth, own my mess, don't blame anybody else, then people will trust me. And that, that's the same whether I'm a parent or a spouse or a paying my mortgage or working with a client or a publisher or an agent, whatever it is, right? So one is I try to behave myself daily into a reputation where other people trust me. And I chose those words very carefully because most people think they're trustworthy. Mm. You don't get to decide if you're trusted. The other person decides based on your behavior. So I try to behave myself into a reputation of being trusted on a daily basis. And the other thing is I don't try to know it all. I admit, I, I, I like to be right. I, I like to be the subject matter expert in any topic that I'm talking about. As my wife will tell you, that ain't true. So I'm trying to show more vulnerability and more humility around recognizing what I do know, what I don't know. Yeah. And that, and that, and that people tend, this may sound arrogant, I don't mean it to be. I think that people that have chosen to work with me, they've chosen to be my publicist, they've chosen to be my agent, they've chosen to be my publisher, they've chosen to want to work in my new company. I think they like that about me is because I know some things and I don't know a lot of things. And, I, I, and as long as you have the idea that you're more focused on what is right than being right, that leadership brand will carry you so far in life. And I wasn't always like that. I have intentionally, every day, every conversation, every interaction, am I arguing to be right or am I arguing to get what is right? Mm. What's right for the customer? What's right for the podcast? What's right for the business? And, and, and you know what? I'm wrong a lot. And I'm wrong more often now that I recognize I'm trying to get to right, not get to be right. It sounds like a cliche, but this is how I'm running my life on a daily basis right now. Yeah. And I think that's such an important thing to be able to demonstrate. And that's, like I said, that I love that consistency where, you know, I don't know you super well, but I love the consistency of the honesty that I can see what you're posting through what you're doing with business. And I can see what you're doing with your family and your kids. Thanks. And it looks the same. Oh, there, there's a consistency, which that's the goal in branding, right? It's honesty and consistency. And I think that a lot of us think that you have to be at the finish line to be a leader. You have to be world renowned and famous. And there are people at the top of the chain who are terrible leaders. Oh my gosh. Can I tell you? They're doing. Can I, can I tell you? I have to, I, I'm sorry for interrupting you because I'm trying not to interrupt anybody. It's so true. I mean, you know, I, I'm backstage with some of the biggest celebrities in the world and on planes and on green, green rooms. They're throwing up. They're rehearsing. They're pacing. They can't believe they're going on next. They're so enamored with the other person who just came off stage. Everybody's got imposter syndrome. Yep. I don't care if it's the biggest celebrity on stage or on Oprah's program, wherever it is, right? Everybody's working hard. And some people take bigger risks than others. Yeah. And the people you see on these stages that are with me, they're not any smarter than you are. Not at all. They just, in many cases, might be working harder or took a bigger risk. That's what they have in common. Absolutely. These people work their Marie Forleo, mm -hmm. one of the hardest working people I know. 
Dave Hollis, insane. Brendan Bouchard, insane work ethic. Trent Shelton, Ed Milette. I mean, I can go on and on. These people are, you know, working hard. They have a good life. They have they have fun. They play. They have balance. These are hardworking people that are willing to fail. Yeah, I absolutely. I think that showing up, that's what it, that's all it takes. You have to keep showing up and you have to keep figuring out and eventually I know. I know, you will right? get there. And When's it's the crazy. last time someone was booed off a stage? Never? I mean, right? I mean, people want you to succeed, right? And you may not all the time. I tell you, a friend of mine is a woman named Nellie Galan. Nellie Galan wrote a book called Self-Made. She was one of the, um, uh, she was the first ever Latina executive producer of a U.S. Um, television studio. She was on Donald Trump's Celebrity Apprentice. And she'll tell you, she's got thousands of failures with the four or five big successes she has, right? Four or five big successes, thousands of failures. No such thing as overnight success. Yeah, absolutely. How would you dis discern the difference between leadership and management? Because yeah, yeah. I think that there is a big difference between leading people versus managing people. Yeah. How would yeah. you define that? You know, oddly, I'm qualified to answer this because the second book I wrote, which became a Wall Street Journal bestseller, was Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, mm -hmm. The Six Critical Practices for Leading a Team. Uh, I think they're somewhat interchangeable, right? I mean, after 30 years, I can hold my own in the management versus leadership world. Mm -hmm. I think they're somewhat interchangeable. I think a lot of people will say you manage things, you lead people, you manage processes, you lead culture. You know, I know a lot of managers that need to be better leaders. And I know some leaders that need to be better managers. So I, I don't think it's about aspiring to leave one and become another. I think it's understanding the role that they both play. We typically hear this adage that I like, which is, you know, managers tend to work in the system and leaders tend to work on the system. And I like that. It's a good, it's a good metaphor. But, you know, I'm a leader. And I'm a manager. Sometimes I have employees that I need to manage, perhaps even earlier on in their career. They're not ready to be led yet, right? They're not ready to be empowered or unleashed. They literally need to be managed. These are the seven steps you do, not eight, not four. These are the seven in this order. And once you do them, you'll earn a higher level of empowerment. I think a lot of people think leadership is ubiquitous. I don't know that you lead an 18-year-old that has their first job at Chick-fil-A. They're probably being managed. Thank goodness I was being managed early on, right? If I was being led, who knows what I would have done? I probably would have fried the shakes, I don't know, or shake the fries. So I think knowing the difference is 90% of the battle. And it's not about being one or being the other, it's knowing kind of when to employ which technique, management or leadership in the right setting with the right person at the right time. I love that. And I, I do think that there's so much to be said for modeling that leadership and knowing who you are to be able to lead. And one of my favorite examples, and I, I wish I could give credit, but I do not remember who said it, but they compared. It was probably example. me. It was probably me. Probably, because it was brilliant. <laughs> they were talking about the office and how Michael Scott was technically the manager, but really Jim Halpert was running the show. Oh. And that was how they explained the difference of management and leadership and this idea of you know, there's the person who's in the desk, who's technically making the decisions, but is not very well respected. And the person who people want to be like, because they're just cool and put together, 
that's the person that's leading. Well, you just, you just described you just described culture, right? I mean, yeah. you just described that. You just reinforce the fact that people don't quit jobs; they quit bad bosses and they quit Absolutely. corrupt cultures. And people don't quit leaders who love them, leaders they respect. And you're exactly right. The culture that the other coworker had built was the culture people wanted to work in and be like. Yeah, yeah. great, and great metaphor. More people are realizing that now, the importance of working on yourself and self-care, that is actually an investment in your business because it's very yeah. expensive to train new employees. Yeah. And most people do quit bad bosses. And I loved your story of demotion. I had a similar in my first job, um, a little bit different, but I was a baby fresh out of college. And I was, I got this job at an agency and got promoted very quickly. And as the company grew, the CEO hired a director who then became my boss. And the director did not like that I was so young and promoting so quickly. And so she demoted me because she felt like I was too young to be in the role that I was in. And I learned so much from that of learning how to treat people that work for me. Always be nice to your interns. Someday your intern is gonna be your biggest competition. They're gonna be a referral for business. So I think that there's something to be said with that, that lesson of leadership is really caring about your team and you can encourage someone or discourage someone. You can change the entire economic dynamics of your company based on how you treat people and based on how you model what leadership looks like. I think you should stop your podcast and be a leadership consultant. I, I think you're right on. I mean, you, you, are, you are delivering the nuggets that I have spent 30 years, right? Helping to research and perfect. You, you just said the golden idea, which is that people are not a company's most valuable asset. That's mm -hmm. not true. It's the relationships between those people that are every organization's ultimate competitive advantage. Because everything else can be stolen, copied, you know, improved upon, but you can't steal a culture from a company. Yeah. And the culture is how the vast majority of people behave the vast majority of time. And that's based on relationships. You're exactly right. Yeah, definitely. I, I love what you said in one interview. And I want to close with this final nugget of wisdom. You said no one is a complete mess and no one is a solid success. Everyone is hopefully moving toward success. And that's really speaking to the heart of Successfulish and what we're all about. So if you were going to share one thing for listeners to start with, to get better about embracing that idea of owning yeah. their mess and finding that balance between mess and success, yeah. what's the one thing that you would tell yeah. people start here? Oh, I'm very clear. It's really your self-awareness. Mm. It's, it's, it's making your brand be that you crave feedback, that you want to know what are your own blind spots. Because we all have them. Is it your hygiene? Is it your dress? Is it your ability to collaborate? Is it your inability to take responsibility? Is it you talk too much? You make too many declarative statements? You don't listen very well? Whatever it is, right, is build your self-awareness, is create a culture amongst your friends, your boss, your family. What's it like to date me? What's it like to be married to me? What's it like to work with me? What's it like to lead me? What's it like to report to me? What's it like to vacation with me? What's it like to run with me? What's it like to work out with me? 
When you ask those questions to people, you will learn so much about yourself. And when someone has the courage, it's rare, to tell you the truth, don't deny it, don't deflect it, don't dispute it. Say, thank you so much for showing the courage to tell me your truth. I so appreciate that. When I'm doing that, what do you think's going on? Do I seem jealous? Do I seem insecure? Do I seem in over my head? What, 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 why do you think I do that? Because I don't know why I do that. That's it, is build your self-awareness. Go home, go to work and ask everybody these questions. What's it like to lead me? Go ask your mother-in-law. What's it like to have me married to your son or to your daughter? You'll learn a lot, but make sure when they tell you that you generally want to know. And then you can decide whether or not you want to act on it. I think in the 30 years I've been in business, Sarah, I've hired hundreds of people and I've had to terminate dozens of them. I have never had to fire anyone for lack of technical competency. They knew how to do the job. They just wouldn't. They could not manage their emotions, collaborate, offer apologies, own their mess. And that's the biggest reason why people get fired. Yeah, absolutely. I think when leaders own their mess, they make it safe for others to own their mess as well. Because everyone's got a mess and everyone's talking about it. Everybody knows your mess. So you might as well just own up to it and make it your brand that you're trying to own it and move towards success. Not wallow in it, not, you know, not defend it, not make excuses for it, but say, you know, you're right. I do do that. And I'm really going to work on that and let people catch you behaving differently. I love that. Scott, thank you so much for sharing. And for everyone who I know is going to be talking to yourselves in the kitchen whisk this weekend, um, let us know what that conversation looks like. Shoot us an email at embracetheish at gmail.com or hang out with us online at successfulish.com or Facebook, Instagram at embracetheish. Success and failure, none of opposite ends. Curveball hits, gotta know where to bend. The attitude will affect destination. Interview determines when you're gonna make it. Live between successes, makes life rich. Live in every moment, successfulish. Live between successes, makes life rich. Live in every moment, successfulish. Hey, successfulish. Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. I'm successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back. Reinvest hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve. Successfulish. Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. Successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions of see. Successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve. All this weight on my arms need both flex. In this race, put behind me most steps. Had a sort of learning curve, hope I don't crash. Hit your nerves when reserves got low cash. When I fail, realize that it won't last. You made it through when the past just Look back, successfulish. You can see how the contrast fires and wins. Use the past and the bounce back. You can never win if you never go and do it. Failure is a hard road, rarely ever cruising. Embracing all my wins with a handful of losing. Expect the drought season when the plan's going fluent. I can never really feel it's all how you view it. It's all a lesson, just depends how you use it. Get all the data and keep it all exclusive. Never ending journey and the growth is therapeutic. My identity is not in what you see. I am the better me. Mistakes others make, I see. Have a teacher me. Compare yourself to others is an insult to tragedy. We will make unique, gotta use again collectively. Broke down my goals in a few look. Toesome. Can't take it back cause you already spoke em. Easily regressive, you don't stay focused Focus, live between success every moment 
successfully Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete I'm successfully Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see I'm successfully Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve Successfully Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope with that I roll up my sleeve Successfully Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete Successfully Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see I'm successfully Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve Successfully Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope with that I roll up my sleeve